We will be returning to the well at Sicha in Samaria when I'm back, God willing, in October. So since it's Father's Day, let's have a Father's Day message. And there are many places in Scripture to turn to uh, where uh, God is described as our Heavenly Father. And it's also come out in the hymns. Uh, that we have sung uh, thus far. Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Praise him widely as his mercy flows. The call to worship this morning was from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, where God is described as the Father of mercies. I don't know how many of you have read Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. It's based on Thomas Goodwin, The Bruised Reed. And this is how Goodwin describes, in Ortland's words, God as the Father of mercies. He's the Father of mercies, just as a father begets children who reflects who he is, I think of Seth looking like Nathan, the divine father begets mercies that reflect him. There is a family resemblance between the father and mercy. He is more the father of mercies than Satan is said to be the father of sin. What a wonderful being our God is, especially if you haven't known a good and a kind father. There are many people today who have had an abusive upbringing. Well, God isn't a father like that. He is the father of mercies. And someone might say, well, maybe that's the New Testament God. But in the Old Testament, God is austere and a harsh God. He's nothing of the sorts. God is the Father of lights in whom there is neither variableness nor shadow of turning. As God was in the Old Testament, so he is in the New Testament. And it's not we who make up our God in our own image. It is God who has revealed himself to us in his word. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What does come into your mind when I talk about God as Father? Is it something you've made up? Either something you have uh, inherited from your background? We all do it, don't we? When I was a boy, I was thinking of God as some Father Christmas figure in the sky. Not a God who is omnipotent, but a God who just winked at sin and who couldn't do anything about the injustices in the world. God isn't like that. The God who has revealed himself in the Word is the true and the living God. And we fall into two extremes, don't we? Like me as a boy, we can think of God as some benevolent figure who is 
so gentle that he has no strength. That's not the God of the Bible. But maybe those who have been brought up in a Reformed Evangelical Church can go to the other extreme and think of God as an austere father figure, as somebody that we always have to please. We always have to make sure that we're doing the right thing, a performance Christianity. That's not the God of the Bible either. Uh, the verse I want to bring, or the verses I want to bring to you this morning for this Father's Day message is from the psalm that was read. You can guess where I'm going to be looking at. Verses 11 to 14. If you've got a Bible, look at Psalm 103, verses 11 to 14. What kind of father is our God? How can he become my father if I am his what kind of view of him do I have? Because the thought of God, isn't that a wonderful phrase? The thought of God will influence your whole life. If your view of God is one that is harsh, it will make you into a hard Christian. If your view of God is one who uh, doesn't bother about sin, then your life will be one uh, of antinomianism. Listen to the psalmist. David was the man after God's own heart. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. There's a height to the mercy of God the Father. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. There's a length to the mercies of God the father and as a father pitieth i know it's better in the old version as a father pitieth his children so the lord pitieth them that fear him for he knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are dust what's that there's a depth to the mercy of god our father i don't know if we'll have time to look at all three dimensions but let's start with the depth the depth of Divine mercy, pity. What is pity? Best felt than telt. Pity comes from the heart. In the Bible, it's not so much the heart, it's the bowels that are used uh, as an anthropomorphic term, uh, human language to describe God. When you think of God's pity, it's bowels of mercies. Do you know pity? What happened in Nottingham? Seeing those grieving families. Isn't there pity in our hearts? Uh, reading about those asylum seekers drowning, hundreds of them in Greece. Isn't there pity going out from us? How much greater is the pity uh, that is in the hearts of the Father above, come let us sing of a wonderful love, dwells in the heart of the Father above. We are rightly told that we need to be men today, those of us who are male. Manliness, it's, it's important. But there's a, an old term, isn't there? which I think gets the right meaning. Because sometimes being manly 
can become being boorish. It's not. Biblical manliness is gentlemanlike. It's an old term. But are we gentlemanlike? Are we reflecting our Father, if we're believers, in, yes, our strength, but we hold on to it gently, we exercise it tenderly. One of my heroes, as you know, is Spurgeon. We, we should hang him up in the vestry. <laughs> we, we've got your father up uh, in, in the vestry. Uh, Spurgeon said, Oh, now that's a sign of a gentle heart. Oh, how God our Father bears with us. We think we are very wise. We are never such fools as when we think we display our wisdom. What's God like as Father? He's so tender. Think of your children. They, they reach a certain age and they think they know everything. You bear with them, don't you? This, this is the depth of the pity of our Heavenly Father. He bears with our ignorance. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, when he came into this world, how he bore with his disciples. Wouldn't we have, after three years of teaching the same thing, and it not going into their heads, and certainly not going into their hearts, wouldn't we have just lost it with them and said, how can you be so ignorant? I, I had a piano teacher, and this is why I'm not playing the piano now. Every time I made a mistake, she would rap me on my knuckles with a pencil. Now, that has put me off learning the piano. She wasn't gentle with me. And some think of God the Father as my piano teacher. He raps us on the knuckles whenever we make a mistake. But he's not like that. He bears with our ignorance. Uh, if you are new to Christianity, if you're learning about Jesus Christ and the gospel, and you feel that you know so little, God isn't going to put you out for that. He'll bear with you. What else is true of God as a father, in terms of the depth of his pity. Um, think of children again. Uh, ch children play games, don't they? Well, I did when I was a boy. With my sister, we played a game of a make-believe world. That, that's what children do. And th there's nothing wrong with that when you're a child. But you don't do that when you're an adult. We're to be childlike as Christians, but we're not to be childish. But how God bears with our childish follies. You, you'll say to me, we're not like that. We're all grown up here. Yes, we are in bodies. But spiritually, we can be absolutely living in a make-believe world. We believe the Bible to be the word of God. We believe this to be the truth. Do we really? Or are we living in a little make-believe world? Do we really believe that God is on the throne? 
Do we really believe that man is appointed to die and after that the judgment? Do we really believe that the gospel is the power of God and to salvation to everyone that believes? Do we really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? We're not living as if it's true after now. We, we live in a make-believe Christian world. And yet our Father hasn't given up on us. Think of not just the disciples, but of God's people throughout the ages. Think of those that God delivered from Egyptian bondage through the leadership of Moses. Weren't they a motley bunch? Always complaining. And in the end, God chastised them. God doesn't spoil his children. He's not harsh, but he chastises. And they ended up wandering for 40 years in circles in the deserts. What, what else is true of children? Uh, those of you who brought little children in here this morning, you carried them if they were really small? Uh, if they're slightly more grown, they may want to hold your hands. They're, they're so weak, aren't they? They're, they're, they cry. I, I, I think it's wonderful to have children in the service that cry, even though it can, it can be good for one's sanctification. It's wonderful to be in a live church, isn't it? And aren't we so weak? So weak. Listen to the psalmist. David knew his weakness. David wasn't some strong man who uh, was into muscular Christianity and he never felt any weakness. Not at all. As a father, verse 13, pities his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You're dust. I'm dust. Uh, in Wales, we're proud of our lineage. Uh, if you belong to somebody famous or to a, a powerful family, then, you know, in Welsh circles, that's something to be proud of. But if you trace your lineage to the very beginning, do you know who you come from? You come from dust. Dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return, said God to Adam. We've got nothing to be proud of. Dust. Your kingdom is a kingdom of dust. Uh, Spurgeon again. Uh, some of the brethren talking of Christians seem to think we as Christians are made of cast iron. Are you somebody made of cast iron? I feel sorry for you. David wasn't an iron man. At times they are so thoughtless. When other Christians or other people go through physical or mental weakness, they can misjudge such by a stern look. A stern look. But God isn't like that. He pities the weakness of his people. Aren't you glad that God knows your frame? He knows that you are feeble. He knows what you can take. 
uh, in the title of uh, Thomas Goodwin's book, The Bruised Reed, that comes from a Bible verse, a verse in the Gospels that was a quote from the prophet Isaiah, so it's old as well as New Testament, saying of the Messiah, he will not break the bruised reed. That's the kind of God we've got. Have you come in here broken this morning? Uh, I was hearing from Nathan about the pastor's conference in Balor, and he said to me it was wonderful. But part of the reason why it was wonderful was everybody was in the same position. They were all bruised and battered. A little adulam's cave of bruised and battered pastors coming to meet with the greater than David. Are ah, you bruised and battered here this morning? You're in good company. God knows your frame. The depth of the pity of God will not cast you away. The sorrows of the mind. There are a number of you here who have the sorrows of the mind, myself included. God understands. And ultimately, of course, God knows our frame because his son became one of us. He put on a human frame, not in the sense that he put on a mask, but he became a man. Jesus Christ was a real man. He wasn't a freak. Jesus Christ, when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, he had to be held. He was so weak. He had to sleep. He cried. He needed to be changed. He was hungry. And then even when he grew up, he still, as a boy, had to learn. He had to grow in knowledge. He knows what it is to be pounded by the trials and the tribulations of this life. Do you know when people saw Jesus Christ, even though he was only 30 years old, they thought he was 50 because of the burdens he was carrying. He looked like an older man. And do you know what Isaiah called him? The man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Are you a man of sorrows? Do you look back on your life and all you can say is, I'm a man of constant sorrow. My friend, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, is the man of constant sorrow and he can come alongside you. You remember his pity over Jerusalem, the city that was about to do away with him? And cry, crucify him. What was his attitude to that city? Did he pray that the Father would send down fire from heaven? None of that. He wept over Jerusalem. He said, oh, that I could just bring you like a hen into my bosom. The pity of God the Son. The pity of God the Father. And the Holy Spirit. He doesn't torment, he's gentle. Even when he convicts of sin, and that's a painful experience, he's never, ever tormenting. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. So the depth I don't know your situation at this moment, but I know that God, our Father, is a pitying God. Take it, take it to him. And then I want to talk about the length of his mercy. And if we don't know God as our Father, this is the most important dimension for us here this morning. Because from what I've said so far, some of you 
may think, well, God then is so gentle that anything goes. No, no. We must be guided by the revelation of God in the Bible, not by our own thoughts. So in the psalm, I try to highlight it in the reading. That's why I like to do the reading. Uh, I can bring out things uh, that are going to come up in the message. It's not just about a God who feels our uh, weaknesses, but there's talk, isn't there, about God judging. So if you look at the psalm, verse 6, the Lord does execute righteousness and justice. He's a lawgiver, and those who break his law are punished. And then there is talk about the Lord being merciful and gracious, verse 8, but he's slow to anger. So there is an anger there. It's not like our anger. We're not slow to anger, are we? Uh, When I'm driving here, trying to get to the service and having to go 20 miles an hour behind a car, I can get so frustrated. But God isn't like that in his anger. God's anger isn't like somebody losing their temper. It's his pure reaction to what is impure sin. God is holy. God cannot look at iniquity. And so his anger is something clean. And then there is talk. Verse 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. But God must punish sin. So do you know what the word sin is? Do you know what sin is? It's being against God. That's what sin is. It's doing fisticuffs with your maker. So you may be wearing velvet gloves. You're still sinning. What other words are used here? Uh, Transgression. Do you know what transgression is? It's rebelling against God. We're enemies to God by nature. I know that's a horrible thing to say, but that's what we're like. We're enemies to this good, kind, merciful God. What other word is used in this psalm? Iniquities. He's not dealt with us according to our iniquities. Do you know what iniquity is? It means lawlessness. So what we're thinking of here is this anti-God attitude, which we all have by nature, that shows itself in uh, rebellion, in overstepping the mark. God says, do not do this. And what is our instinctive reaction? There is something in our heart which says, I want to. (laughs) It's like the old uh, illustration. When you see a sign, do not walk on the grass. What do you want to do? You want to walk on the grass. There is something inside of us. So even before we actually physically commit to sin, there is a heart issue. And God is just. God must punish sin. That's why my vision of God as a child was completely unbiblical. He's not some Father Christmas figure who can just wink at sin. God can't just allow anybody into heaven. He must deal with it. And yet... There is this dilemma, isn't there? Or there seems to be a dilemma for us. How can God be just and forgive sin? How can he do it? That's the very nub of the gospel. Spurgeon, whom I've quoted from, when he was a boy, he was completely 
taken over by this paradox. How can God forgive me? How can he punish my sin and still forgive me? Is that a problem for somebody here this morning? Is that a conundrum that you haven't been able to solve yet? Now, let me give you this illustration. I was a school teacher for four years. I've been writing my bio for the websites. That, that's, that's been quite something. And I've said in that that I was a school teacher for four years. And we had children break school rules. And so they had to be punished. We would give a hundred lines or something. Now, I never had a situation where another child who was innocent said, I'll take the place of the one who's guilty. I'll carry the can. I'll write the hundred lines. So the punishment is still meted. It's meted out on an innocent rather than the guilty. I never was able to do that as a teacher. <laughs> but that illustration is small fry in comparison to what God has done in Jesus Christ. So the father who has a heart full of love and mercy sent his son who is full of truth and grace take your place in mind. That's the gospel. I'm trying to be as simple as I can. Before I go off, I don't want anybody to leave this meeting not knowing what the gospel is. So what's the length of our Father's mercy in sending His Son? Listen, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquity. It doesn't mean that God doesn't punish sin. He does punish sin. But he's punished our sins on another. And that another had to be innocent. But that's not enough. That another has to be a real human being. But even that is not enough. Jesus Christ was a man. He was the perfect man. The only perfect human being. But there needs to be something more than that. Otherwise, only one person could be forgiven. Jesus Christ has to be infinite. He's got to be God. And that's who he is. He's the God-man. And so what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago, he came into this world, and for 30-odd years, he lived the perfect life on your behalf. That's called his Active obedience, not for his own sake, but for you. And then the most important thing he did was his passive obedience. He went on to a cross, willingly, the innocent, being treated as the most guilty human being ever, crucifixion, the worst form of execution ever devised. The innocent. Dying for the guilty in order to bring us to God. That's what Peter said. And Peter knew what it was to be guilty. And it was on the cross that Jesus took the punishment. And it wasn't a hundred lines. 
it was eternal hell for you and for me. And it wasn't Jesus Christ doing this willingly and trying to pacify an unwilling father. It's God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son. We're going to close the first part of the service with the words, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Do you know what comes next? That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. And on the cross, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Did Jesus die for your sin? That's what a Christian is. A Christian isn't somebody who is depending now on his own righteousness. A Christian realizes his righteousness, not just his sin, but his righteousness is as filthy rags. And what do you do with filthy rags? You strip yourself of them. And what do you do in order to become a Christian? You leave your sin. You leave your righteousness. And it's there in a pile, fermenting. And you go spiritually naked to Jesus Christ. Naked. Come to thee for dress. How did top lady put it? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Helpless look to thee for grace. Naked come to thee for dress. Foul I to the fountain fly. When you go into the sea in Penarth, you need to wash afterwards, don't you? You've got so much silt on you. When you come to the fountain of Calvary, you're clean, clean for once and forever. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. And then the psalmist uses this illustration to show the length of the mercy of God in Christ. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Why didn't he say as far as the north is from the south? Do you know why? There is a north pole. There is a south pole. Even though it's a great distance, there is a fixed distance between the North Pole and the South Pole. Now, Christ, having taken our sins upon himself, he has removed them completely. So, there is no more remembrance of your sins in the book of heaven. They've been blotted out, as we heard last Sunday morning. So, as far as the East is from the West, is there an East Pole? I taught geography. I never came across an East Pole. Is there a West Pole? Of course there isn't. What's the distance between East and West? If something has been separated as far as the East is from the West, it's like an asymptote. You will go on forever. And that's the distance of our sins from God, the Holy God. They've gone. They're no more. Because Jesus Christ, his infinite blood which shows the uh, sacrifice taking the punishments has blotted them all out there's no trace no sin no condemnation no condemnation and then i haven't got time to look at the height the height of the mercy of god the father for us the heavens are high above the earth so great is his mercy to those who fear him how high is the heaven 
You can't measure. You can't measure the height. How big is this mercy of God being offered to us this morning? It's without measure. So what I'm saying is this as I come to a conclusion. Whoever you are this morning, however great your sin, it's not too great for the mercy of God to deal with. So come. For the first time, come and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and experience this wonderful love of the Father above. And if you have come, come again. And may your view of God the Father be what he really is. And may this church be a place where people can come and hear of Jesus Christ. And if you're bruised and battered, may this be a safe place, a spiritual place emotional haven of rest for his namesake.